0: have your bibles why don't we turn together to luke's gospel chapter 18 as we've been making our way verse by verse through luke together we're in the 18th chapter and while we're turning there if you need a bible just hold your hand up we'd be happy to bring one over to you where you're seated at to let you follow along as we study god's word this morning you know i would encourage you to just uh, be praying for the nation of Israel. The Bible tells us that we should pray for the peace of Jerusalem and of course as we uh, watch things really beginning to escalate now over in Israel where not only are they actually bombing in the southern border but actually some um, artillery actually beginning to hit in Tel Aviv uh, and also it seems recently just some small activity even in Jerusalem and um, You know, the Bible told us that in the last days Jerusalem would become like a cup of trembling to all nations and uh, these are just indicators uh, to us of the prophetic clock and where we're at but uh, we are told scripturally that we should uh, pray for the nation of Israel and particularly for the peace of Jerusalem and I encourage you to pray for their leaders and uh, for their soldiers and and even those, again, uh, that are coming against them just that the Lord's will be done and, and that he would just move in that region. Nobody likes to See loss of life and and warfare, but uh, I believe it's our duty uh, and to be praying for them and to stand together with them. And I certainly encourage you to do that. This morning we're going to continue here in Luke 18, and we're going to look at verse one down through verse eight. And if you are turned to Luke 18, would you stand together with me out of respect for the Word of God as I read our text for this morning's Bible study, Luke 18. Regarding Jesus, it tells us in verse 1, "...then he spoke a parable to them, that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. And he said, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard men. And now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, "...get justice for me from my adversary." And he would not for a while... But afterward, he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard me, and yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He really find faith on the earth? And Father, we ask now for Your Holy Spirit's help as we study the Word of God. We pray that You would prepare us. Lord, You know exactly where we're at this morning. You know the things on our minds and uh, just the natural distractions that can come into our lives. And, And yet, Lord, we're here to worship You and we believe that Your Word is something that you want to use to speak in our lives, that it's alive and powerful. So we pray that you would make it that this morning. Do in us what's necessary, that we might be quickened by your Spirit to be able to hear what your voice would say to us personally. Lord, help us. Give us understanding in your word, alertness and attentiveness, and we pray that you would speak to us in a powerful and a personal way. Bless your word, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. amen. You may be seated. You know, I have found in my own life, and maybe you can in some ways relate to this, that if the devil cannot get you to mess up, then he will certainly do his best effort to get you to give up. Let me say that again. If the devil can't get you to mess up, then he will do his best effort to get you to give up. Now, In the same way, on the other hand, Jesus expects us all to mess up on occasion. And I'm sure you prove that as I did this past week. Jesus expects us to mess up on occasion. However, it is never the Lord's intention that we give up on pursuing him in continual faith. In fact, in Luke chapter 22, we'll see shortly that Jesus informs Peter that he would fail and that he would mess up. Peter didn't think he would, but Jesus knew him better than he knew himself, as he does all of us. And and he clearly told Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, and Peter, the truth of the matter is, you're going to fail me, not just once, but you're going to deny me three times. And Jesus informed him that he would fail, but Jesus said to him, as he informed him of his failure, and the reality that he expected him to mess up on occasion. Jesus also said to him, however, Peter, I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. In other words, Peter, I know you're going to mess up. But Peter, I'm praying specifically that you wouldn't give up. That you wouldn't give up on continuing to have faith in me, even amidst your failures and everything else that you experience. Peter, it's never my heart, though you fail, it's never my heart that you would give up. That you'd give in and toss in the towel on your faith and your following of me. And here Jesus... I think is really encouraging us towards enduring faith in this section of Scripture. Uh, Jesus, remember, is speaking to his followers. He's talking to the disciples we know in context from the prior chapter at this point. And Jesus, notice, connects together here two things. He connects together waiting for his coming together with praying and not losing heart. He connects those two things together. It seems like believers living during the last days, awaiting the return of Jesus back to this earth, are going to be greatly tempted to at times lose heart. And either we will faithfully pray through these last and dark and difficult days, or we will faint And we will lose heart and we will give up spiritually and become a part of what the Bible even warns will be a great apostasy in the last days. On the prior section, remember Jesus we saw was clearly speaking about his return back to this earth. And as Jesus was talking about his return back to the earth, he also talked about a coming judgment that will be attached to his return to judge righteously those who have rejected him and lived wickedly and rebelliously against God. And in connection with that, Jesus said that the last days just prior to his coming, the days preceding his return back to this earth, that those days, he said, preceding that time would be like the days of Noah. They would be like the days, he said, also of Lot. In other words, times, as we saw in past history from the scriptures, when people were living morally corrupt There were no standards of right or wrong. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The conditions of earth were filthy. People were immoral. They were ungodly. And they were preoccupied with their daily affairs like everything would go on as normal. They were ignoring God. They were spiritually apathetic. They were consumed with their affairs of the day. But nobody was taking any consideration about the things of God and the fact that very soon he would interrupt humanity. And therefore no one would be prepared as it was in those days when God instantly stepped in and judge the world because of their wickedness. The Bible teaches very clearly from front to back that the end times on earth will be very morally dark, that the world will be disintegrating in the fiber work of what is right and moral and spiritual. In fact, Jesus, as he left off in the last chapter, remember, described it kind of alluding to it in this sort of cryptic way, saying it'll kind of be like a dead, rotting carcass With a bunch of vultures and eagles flying around. And and you can tell when you see eagles and vultures circling. That there's something dead and rotting underneath. And what Jesus was indicating is really that in essence is what it will be like. The conditions on earth in the last days preceding his return. That's what it will be like. That the world will begin to just rot and deteriorate like a rotting, grotesque carcass, the world will begin to just break down. 2 Timothy 3 tells us, in the last days, perilous times will come. And then it gives a list of what those times will be like. And the greatest description in that list is the conditions of humanity. Men will be lovers of themselves, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, that that there would just be this, it says, love of pleasure rather than love of God. And even a form of godliness... Outward religiosity, but a lack of the power therein. Professing things about God, but no reality or power of really living for God on the earth. And it describes there the deteriorating times. As the world grows darker and darker, Jesus also knows that that will do what? It will dishearten believers. People like you and I who love Jesus and want to walk in righteousness. And we appreciate what is right and, and and want to have a distinction between what is right and wrong that as the world grows dark and it begins to rot morally around us like a decaying carcass that it will dishearten believers that it will cause us to struggle at times while we wait for his return and the deliverance out of this world before the lord judges it in fact in Matthew chapter 24 Jesus said one of the signs as well indicating of the last days, Jesus said in Matthew 24, one of those signs he said was this. Jesus said, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Here's what's insightful. When you look at that, that word love there in the Greek is the term agape, which is the type of love that is only possible by God's spirit. Agape love. So when Jesus says, because lawlessness will abound, The agape, the love that only comes from God's spirit, which can only be experienced, therefore, by God's people. He says, the agape of many will grow cold. In other words, Jesus was saying that in the last days as the culture is decaying, the decaying culture will even begin to influence and infect many believers whereby their agape will grow cold. In other words, believers will begin to be infected by the decaying culture and as a result of that, their love for God will begin to grow cold. Many believers' love for God will begin to cool off. Many believers' love for other people and people being the priority rather than their possessions, or their preoccupations, that will all begin to grow cold. And everyone will be more consumed by other things, but their love for God and their love for people will begin to cool off and diminish. And Jesus said this will be one of the marks of the last days. And I think he's giving here an exhortation to guard against that pattern of cooling off in the last days and that is whereby we must stay connected to God relationally through prayer and communication and keep trusting in his goodness that's why in verse 1 we read it says here that Jesus spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart again We're told by the Holy Spirit very clearly here, Jesus is wanting to exhort his followers now through a story that they would not grow weary in the latter days. That we would not begin to grow cold and cool off spiritually during dark times. And he uses again a parable. As we've said before, a parable is basically an earthly story laid beside a spiritual truth so that you can connect the two. And Jesus was the master of doing that. He was the master teacher. He knew how to speak in ways that weren't above people's heads and philosophical and esoteric, but he just spoke plain language that people could grab hold of and understand. I'm certain if Jesus lived today that he would tell stories and use things like talking about cell phones and probably computers and he'd use Facebook illustrations and he would say things and he would tell stories and repeat. Oh, and he would tell a story in a way whereby people could hear the story and relate to it. It was an agrarian society, so a lot of times he'd talk about farming. And Jesus would use parables, earthly stories, to help people grab hold of and really connect with the spiritual truth. And that's what he does here once again in this story. And we're told regarding this parable in verse 1, the exact purpose for the parable before we even read it. Lots of times we read a parable and we have to figure out, okay, what's the truth conveyed there? Well, here the Spirit of God tells us the exact reason for the parable before we even get the parable. He tells us in verse 1 that he spoke a parable so that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. That men always ought to pray. In other words, that we always ought to be talking to God. A major part of a relationship is what? Talking. I live with four women. I'm learning this because I'm a man and I don't talk very much naturally. But I live with four ladies and as a result of that, I'm learning a big part of relationship is you talk. You communicate. That's what relationship is based on. You typically, you know who you have a relationship with because they're the people that you spend time talking to. And what's prayer? He says that we ought to pray. Prayer is simply communication with God. It's speaking to God about things. It's speaking to God about everything. Listen to me. Prayer is not. Prayer is not some formula that we work through religiously. Prayer is not some you know, religious phrases that we recite outwardly. And you say, why do you say that? Because a lot of times that's what's connotated in people's minds when you think of prayer. In a lot of religious circles, or maybe you were brought up in a particular upbringing with, you know, among a, a religious you know, organization or church, whatever, and your concept of prayer was that you, through rote and routine, sort of just recited spiritual statements out loud. And, and that's what prayer was or that it's some formula that you, when you have this situation, you say these particular phrases. No, 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 listen. That's not how we talk to people, is it? When we have a relationship, we, we talk to people how? Just directly, openly, honestly. We just communicate. If somebody came up to us and started reciting certain phrases or spiritual statements you know, when, when they were trying to talk, they'd be like, you're weird, man. What are you doing? I'm not a robot. I'm a human being. Talk to me. Talk. Let's talk Real. And when God says that He wants us to pray, the word pray simply connotates He wants us to talk to Him, to communicate, to speak directly in normal conversation, in normal tones, conveying to Him our thoughts and our feelings. Prayer is supposed to be an intimate and meaningful conversation and communication between us and God. That's what God's heart is. In the same way, again, like regular communication, the way a child talks to a parent. You know, children don't come with special phrases and special formulas. They, they they just they talk directly to their parents. They say what's on their mind, don't they? But sometimes a lot more, you know, less respectful. than we even you know, they don't say, "Oh, most wonderful, holy, wonderful Father, may I have five buckets to go to the store?" No, Dad, can I have money? It just. It's, that's, that's the way we can talk. We just speak directly. And I'm not saying we should be irreverent towards God, but what I'm saying is, is many people don't pray because they have the wrong idea about prayer. They have a preconceived idea in their mind of what prayer is supposed to be, and they shrink back from talking to God, who is a loving Father. Says, "Talk to me. Just tell me what's on your mind. Ask me anything you want. Say whatever it is." In the same way, friends communicate openly and honestly. And notice he says that we ought always to pray, that we always ought to pray, which shows us that we are to pray, first of all, consistently, continually, with regularity. We always ought to pray. 1 Thessalonians five seventeen and 18 says, Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do you hear that? This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. One of the number one questions you ask and one of the number one questions I ask as a Christian and as a pastor, I get asked very frequently, how do I know God's will for my life? Well, listen, I don't know God's specific will and all the little details. I struggle enough trying to figure it out for myself what it is for you. But there are certain things in the word of God that the Bible just says, look, this is the will of God. So if you're trying to figure out what God's will is for your life and you can't, fi- here's one or two things that are very specific. Always thank God for things in your life. Be thankful regularly. And he says, here as well, pray without ceasing. Talk to God constantly. That's God's will for you. God wants you to talk to him constantly. God wants you to speak to Him what's on your mind, what's on your heart. And it does not mean we will break without ceasing,? pray without ceasing how would you get anything else done well it doesn't connotate the idea there that we every day with hands folded and eyes closed and head bowed or on our knees do nothing but just pray and talk to god and so we just shirk responsibility from anything else that's not what he's conveying he's indicating an attitude of prayer and communication with god whereby the natural habit of my everyday life is just as is natural and normal to breathe continuously throughout the day while I'm in the course of doing everything else that I would throughout my day whatever I'm doing talk to God about everything happening in our day if I can illustrate remember when I was serving uh, back in York Pennsylvania with the police department there I served as a chaplain for five years and part of that involved going out and doing ride along with the police officers. And one of the things that really intrigued me when I'd ride around with these officers and they all did it is they would be going about their duties and doing this and that, you know, pull somebody over, talk to them, they'd be in the middle of, you know, handling a call they came to, solving a domestic dispute or or, or whatever it was. And at the same time as they were doing multiple things, their radio was always on. It wasn't only on super loud and the radio was always on and somehow these guys used to they were listening to everything happening over the radio and periodically they'd even just grab and they'd say, they'd say something or they'd ask for something and, and there was this whole conversation that was happening over this radio all the time while they were engaged doing other things. And it astonished me how you know, they would be in the middle of doing something and they'd just respond. I didn't even hear them call their number out, but they were always engaged in sort of this, this secondary conversation while they were still doing all the activities they were doing. And I thought to myself, that's an interesting illustration of really what praying without ceasing should be like. That as you're working or as you're cooking, and depending on how cook you are, you know, God help me, bless this. I don't want to kill my family. You know, whatever you're doing, as you're doing it, you're talking to God. Lord, you know who my meeting is with in 10 minutes. So Lord, prepare me. I have to meet or in the midst of conversation these officers would be in the midst of a conversation they'd still be listening to they'd stop in the conversation say something come right back into the conversation whether you're talking or working or whatever it is dealing with family affairs or, that you just talk to God continuously you take the, hook, the receiver off the hook in the morning and you just talk to God you never hang up you just talk to him throughout the day praying consistently whatever it is certainly there should be times where I dedicate Focused and direct prayer, like tonight, a prayer meeting from six to seven. We're setting aside time. We're gonna, I'm gonna drive there, and for an hour, I plan on just spending time in focused prayer. Yeah, that that's a part of our prayer life, but let's not relegate that. That's all prayer is. The Bible says, pray without ceasing. There are times for focused prayer, but continuous conversation with God, including him in everything, being conscious of God, whatever you're doing all day long and talking to him about it, asking for help this morning. Great opportunity as we look at a passage of prayer to ask yourself, what is your communication with God like in your current life? What's it like? Is is God just your crisis hotline? Well, when a crisis happens, then you know how to dial up God and, Get him on the hook because now a crisis happens. So I got to dial one eight hundred. God, get me out of this. Some people, that's what their prayer life becomes. Or is is your conversation with God maybe like a distant relative? who you just check in with once in a while and really not more than necessary. You know, kind of like a, you see that Thanksgiving, Christmas, and praise God we don't have to see him again till Easter, you know. You, it just a periodic check in. Maybe it's not just a crisis outline, but you check in with them once in a while or you, you check in once a week at church. but No, all day, every day. God's involved in what you're doing. Include him in it. Talk to him about it. I encourage Try it this week. Try it. Try always praying throughout the day in whatever you're doing and see how the lord's hand will be involved in what you're doing so pray continuously and the other thing he indicates as well by praying and not losing heart is also praying confidently that's also what he's conveying in this short little story we'll see is not just talk to god continually but confidently pray always jesus says and he doesn't want us to lose heart he doesn't want us to give up in prayer. Patiently persevering, seeking the Lord, believing that God hears and that God cares and that God is acting on your behalf. Hebrews 11.6 says we must believe that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Colossians 4.2 says to continue earnestly in prayer, being watchful with thanksgiving. In other words, being persistent and confident. Don't just pray continuously. Be confident when you pray. Believe God's listening and believe God cares and believe God wants to answer whatever it is you're asking of him. Now, I think the reason Jesus gives this parable, as I said, that men ought always to pray and not lose heart, give up, give in, is because living in a fallen world as we do that's decaying all around us, as I said, Going against the current, a common tendency for me as a believer, for you as a follower of Jesus, a common tendency, therefore, living in this world is to begin at times to be tempted to lose heart, to start to get discouraged, to begin to become disheartened and weary. Second Thessalonians 3.13, Paul told the believers in that church, brethren, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. Again, Paul writing to the Ephesian church, totally different church, Ephesians 3.1. He asked the believers there in that church to not lose heart over his tribulations in serving them. A universal temptation for all God's children fighting this good fight of faith, going against the current, is that we will be continually tempted on occasion to start to lose heart to start to be tempted to just give up and give in and to get downcast and despairing and and to feel things like that are endeavors to seek to do what is right and good. They don't seem like they're making a difference anyway. So why bother anymore? You know, I'm trying to be a good witness. It doesn't seem like I'm influencing anyone. I'm trying to serve the Lord in this way and give my best to it. And it just, it doesn't seem like any fruits coming out of my labors. Why bother anymore? It doesn't seem like anything's happening. Sometimes we find ourselves struggling and losing heart, feeling hopeless like evil or wrongdoing that we see happening around us. It seems like, well, it doesn't seem like God's even intervening and stopping it. It seems like God's just letting it happen and we start to lose heart because it seems like evil or wrong is actually triumphing and here we are trying to do what's right and hoping for what's right and it almost begins to seem to us like God's disengaged or He's uninvolved and He's not intervening to change things. And sometimes one of the greatest temptations is to even wonder, as I said, if our prayers and the things we're asking God are simply not going to get answered at all because we've been asking and asking and asking And it doesn't seem like God is coming to our aid or he's acting the way that we're asking. We've been asking for so long and we start to lose heart in what we're praying and asking God for. Can I say something this morning? I understand those struggles in my own life. Maybe I have way less faith than anyone in this room, but I'll be the first to tell you, I know exactly what it's like to start to lose heart in all of those areas. It's a common struggle when discouraging thoughts and feelings arise. I know what happens. So also do the ideas of just giving up. And I have found in my own life, something in us sometimes says to us, you know what, it's easier just not to hope for anything. Just don't hope for anything and you know what, just don't even try anymore. And here's why. Because something says to us, listen, if you don't expect anything to happen and you don't try anything, well, it makes it a lot easier when nothing happens. Because then you don't feel as discouraged about it. (laughs) Then you don't feel as despairing over it. So you know what? It's almost easier in this self-preservation mode. I just won't hope for anything and I won't try anything anymore and therefore, it'll eliminate the possibility of facing disappointment if it doesn't happen. Tell the devil communicates to us. Hey, this morning you're here and perhaps recently you have been losing heart in your life over something or over many things perhaps you're here this morning and you've been feeling disheartened in relation to something you've been praying about you've been seeking God again and again and asking and seeking and knocking and yet nonetheless it seems there's no indication of the answer coming or coming in the way you wish it would or in the time you would and you're prone to this struggle Jesus here gives a lesson to show we ought always to pray and not lose heart. Galatians 6.9 says, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. I so appreciate that Paul the Apostle, to me, probably the second most incredible person on this planet, after Jesus Christ himself said, Let us not grow weary in well-doing. Paul, you you got weary in well-doing sometimes? Oh, yes, I did. Let us not grow weary in well-doing. He says, for in the proper season, we shall reap if we don't lose heart. There's always a space of time between sowing and reaping. We want to sow and reap immediately. You don't plant a seed and tomorrow have a full harvest there in the field. There's a space of time. And he says, this is that space of time where we can't lose heart. We need to keep praying, keep asking, not lose heart and trust that in due season, the reaping will ultimately come. And Jesus here seeks to illustrate this truth with a parable or a story he gives to us. Verse two, he tells the story, there was in a certain city a judge, Jesus says. Notice, who did not fear God nor regard man. So we're introduced to this judge. He's a man of great authority but yet he has a tremendous deficiency in his personal character. We're told two things about him in this story. First of all, it says that he did not fear God. So he was somebody who had no respect for God. He had no reference for the things of God or the ways of God. Right and wrong meant absolutely nothing to this man. He was someone who had no regard, really, for what was righteous. He didn't care about doing what was just in a situation. This is what he was like. We also told of him that he also did not regard man. In other words, that indicates to us that he didn't care about people whatsoever. He was basically a cruel and an evil and a heartless man. This is what he was like, Jesus tells us, this judge. He was someone who basically would listen to people's problems, but he simply had an evil and a heartless Attitude within him, even as he entertained their problems. Well, in walks our next person, this widow. It says, and there was a widow that came to him and she said to him, get justice, which means simply give me what is right. Get justice for me from my adversary. So in enters this woman who lacks the ability to resolve her own problem. She has a genuine need for help. A widow in that culture would clearly depict someone who was helpless, who was vulnerable, who lacked their own personal resources, who had no rights. She was defenseless and often disregarded. And on top of that, she has a really legitimate need. So what does she do? She has no resources, no rights, no power. She can't solve her own problem, but she has a legitimate need, so she goes to someone who has the power to assist her. It says that she goes to this judge and says to him, get justice for me from my adversary. Again, justice means get me what is right from my adversary or enemy. So something was happening, we're not told. Someone was taking advantage of her, trying to harm her, maybe she had been stolen from. The point is simply this, she could not resolve her problem She needed someone else's help. She went to someone who could help and she pleaded for intervention that she might receive the assistance that she needed and she couldn't bring about on her own. So she goes to this judge. Well, verse 4 says that when she goes to him, that he would not listen to her for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I don't fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, that is consistently comes... I will avenge her, give her justice, lest by her continual coming she weary me. So for a period of time, this evil and heartless judge ignores her request for assistance, but she's persistent and she keeps coming back to him again and again. And eventually it says she wore him down and even though he did it reluctantly, He ultimately, because of her persistence, still even after a delay, reluctantly gave her ultimately what was rightfully due to her. So you can picture how this scene would unfold. You know, here's this woman. She comes to this heartless, evil judge and she comes before him like everyone else. She explains her case and he just kind of disregards her and dismisses her. So he leaves the little court area that day and he goes out back to his camel and there she is waiting at his camel and she asks him again he says lady didn't you hear yeah, just whatever Yeah, and he gets on his camel and she starts just winding his way back to his house to go home and eat dinner and then he comes around the corner there she is standing in the middle of the street again and then he bypasses her again he pulls up to his house and lo and behold he knocks on the door and it's not his wife she there she is again and again and again there she is persistent persistent asking asking pleading asking and eventually though he it wasn't as if he had a change of heart it doesn't say he started to feel sympathy his heart softened It doesn't say any of that he simply says you know what and notice he makes an admission of his own character It has nothing to do with my character i don't re- i don't respect god and i don't care about people he says but I'll tell you this, because of her persistence, he says, because she keeps coming, though I've delayed and ignored her, he says, "I'm going to give her what she wants, because this lady's going to drive me up a wall for my own sanity." He says, "I'm just going to give her whatever she wants." And he ultimately complies and then gives to her the very thing that she's seeking. He answers her request ultimately. Jesus now says in verse six, says, "The Lord said, "Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God, the idea is in contrast to this evil, heartless judge, shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. So Jesus now says to those listening to the story, now I want you to pay attention to how that unjust judge behaved, he said. And ultimately, what he did in response to the pleading of this woman, and Jesus says, because there's a lesson conveyed in that. There's a lesson to be learned. Verse 6, he says very clearly, Hear what the unjust judge said. In other words, he's telling us that healthy and confident persistence without giving up will be rewarded. Healthy and confident persistence without giving up will be rewarded now please hear me on this because this is critical please know that Jesus in this story is not using this story as a comparison this is a story of contrast hear me again this is not a story of comparison he's not comparing God to the unjust judge this is a story of stark contrast in other words Jesus is not portraying God to be like the unjust judge in other words, he's not, it's not as if Jesus is trying to portray God as this grouchy creator who has to tolerate all these human beings and take care of us because that's his job with all these people on this earth. So like the unjust judge, he shows up grouchy every day and, and it's just his celestial duty as the great judge in the sky. To deal with the plagues and the problems of all these creatures down on the earth. And and God somehow heartless and uncaring. And therefore you got to really plead with God in prayer. And you got to really know what it takes to wear God out. And you got to twist his arm to get something from him. And sadly some people that's their perspective of God. Because they don't know what the word of God says that he's really like. Totally opposite of that. And sometimes I think we even convey that idea by the way that we pray or teach people to pray. It's almost as if that's our perspective of God. And so we, we think we've think we got to kind of wear them out with things like positive confession. So we're going to keep confessing and confessing and confessing it because if we do eventually maybe God will just see our way and he'll agree with it. Or we think that somehow we need to you know, speak to God in certain ways whereby the tone of our voice is going to somehow then win God over. And we hear this. You know, you, you pray with certain people, and, and they pray. When they pray, they get louder and louder and louder, as if somehow God's losing his hearing. And you've got to turn up his hearing aid or something. Well, you don't have to shout. God can hear you. My kids start to shout. I'm mean, like, what are you shouting for? I'm right here. But see there are certain things that we implement I'm not saying not to pray with passion don't misunderstand what I'm saying what I'm saying is sometimes we convey this idea almost like God's reluctant and we got to twist his armor or if we really manipulate God and we really work him over as if he's like a cosmic genie and so if we just work him over and manipulate him enough and we confess and we take control that we're going to we're going to ultimately get what we want we have got to work God over you know we're going to we're going to fast and pray until this happens and it's almost as if like we're conveying to God, God, don't make me starve myself. Don't make me, I, I'll starve myself. I'll hold out until you give it to me. Listen, what, what are we conveying about the nature of God? God's not like this unjust judge. That, that's the furthest thing from what Jesus is trying to convey. What he's trying to convey is that this is a contrast. He's saying, look, if that's what this unrighteous Heartless, cruel judge is like, and eventually this woman got her way. He's saying, How much more your heavenly Father, a God who is loving and compassionate and caring. That's why Jesus says, Think about this. He says, If that's what the unjust judge did for this woman who had a legitimate need, to the far contrast, he says, And shall God, a loving, gracious, father shall not God avenge his own elect his children who cry out to him day and night though he bears long with them I tell you he will avenge them speedily again in this story this woman is in a status whereby she persistently comes to God she has no rights and she has to do what she has to overcome the judge's reluctance that's what she had to do She had to overcome the judge's reluctance. Sometimes, as we can all, I think, have a wrong perspective about God, I think sometimes we think that that's what we have to do. We have to overcome God's reluctance. And we think, therefore, God is reluctant and and he always wants to hold back and therefore we have to pray in such a way that we overcome God's reluctance to get God to act. Listen, that's the furthest thing from what God's nature is like. The Bible tells us the complete opposite. God is not reluctant. The Bible teaches God is gracious and kind and generous and benevolent, willing to give and ready to share. Exodus 34, the Lord reveals himself as gracious and abounding in goodness. The Psalms tell us that he daily loads us with benefits. Romans 8 says God is for us. Already. God is for us. You don't have to get him on your side. God is for us I love Romans 8 where Paul there says he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all how shall we not with him also freely give us all things see God's not trying to be reluctant and hold back and sparing it says listen if he didn't spare his own son but delivered him up for us all in other words he's saying God gave his best up front up front, as the indication of his love and generosity and kindness. God didn't spare his own son. He gave us the best up front to say, hey, that's my indication to you. He says that if I give you my best, how, he says, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? If God would give us Jesus and God would let Jesus die for our sins and suffer on our behalf and let his son be spit upon and beaten and mocked so that our sins could be forgiven and we can go to heaven. If he didn't hold back Jesus... He says, why do we have this mindset that he's holding back? And he's going to always hold back rather than going to him thinking he's not holding back. He's a loving father who likes to bless his kids and wants to be kind and generous, whatever it is. We have to have a proper perspective towards God's nature. Not let our own mindset or what we've been taught by others or what the world's conveyed to us be the thing that directs the way we think about God. We're not overcoming in prayer God's reluctance. Listen, we're just laying hold of God's willingness. We're laying hold of His willingness to bless and be gracious and kind. I love what Jesus says regarding prayer. He tells us to ask of God. And Jesus uses again this illustration in Matthew 7. He says, What man is there among you who if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish... Will we give him a serpent? Again, Jesus uses natural analogy. He says, look, well, what father, if his son says, Dad, I'm, I'm really hungry. Can I have a piece of bread here? Chew on this rock, kid. He says, well, what earthly father's going to do that? Dad, I'm really hungry. Can I have, Can we go fishing to get something for dinner? I'll tell you what. I saw a scorpion in the back corner. Go eat that thing. He says, the only human father's like that. He then, uh, analogy-wise, says this. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, listen, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? He says if evil human fathers are gracious and giving and kind to their children, how much more a perfect heavenly Father is going to be far off the charts in comparison of His generosity As we seek him and remember as believers Jesus says here in our text that we don't seek and ask things from God as a stranger but as one of his own it says his own elect in verse 7 indicating one of his children who have been chosen by election that God adopted us he picked you to be his child. That God adopted you and me. He said, I want him as my son. I want her as my daughter. And he says, it's from that position of family status that we approach God. This widow came to the judge as a total stranger, and as a stranger, she eventually got something from a cruel, heartless man. You're God's son. You're God's daughter if you know Jesus Christ. When we go to him, there's a father child relationship. I understand how that works with my children, I have three daughters. I understand and they understand. They can approach and ask me for things differently than a total stranger can. And I'm much more predisposed to bless them and give them what they want than a total stranger. I understand the the reality that often I will drop anything I'm doing if they have a genuine need and come to their help and to their aid. We understand that as children with our parents and as parents with our children. And God is a far greater father, a perfect father. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. That's the relationship we approach God from. That's why Jesus says, Shall not God avenge his own elect, his children, his very children who are crying out day and night to him? Listen, God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. I wish I could explain, but I'm not smart enough or spiritual enough to tell you all of God's workings and ways. I don't understand it. But I know the Bible that we read in Romans 8:28 says that we know all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And it's the reality of God's nature and the promises of those things that even though we don't understand God's working in prayer, we must remember. Verse 8, he says, I tell you that he, the Father, will avenge them speedily. Wait a minute. Doesn't seem like it's been very speedily that he's answered what I've been asking him. Well, listen. I don't think Jesus is necessarily promising that God will always answer immediately and quickly in every situation. Let us not, out of balance, ever disrespect sovereignty. God's sovereign. And God works in his ways and in his purposes according to what is best. In fact, the word speedily there is where we get our English word, tachometer which is that little thing in your car that measures your RPMs once you get going. It tells how fast you're going once movement begins. And that's the word that Jesus uses here. In other words, indicating not just as soon as I ask, God will always answer right away and do exactly what I want right away. Sometimes he does do that. But God is also sovereign. He's working on everything according to his plans globally and personally all together at the same time. And I think what Jesus is conveying is the reality that it's a rapidness of execution. That once God does begin to set the ball in motion though, very quickly things can come to pass overnight when God starts to act. We have to remember that God is not limited to time constraints as we are in this realm. Peter tells us in his writing... That God dwells in the eternal and he says, beloved, don't forget this one thing that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long suffering, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Again, God's timetable is different than ours. God dwells in the eternal outside of the time realm that we live in. With God, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. And we have to that's where the challenge is. But we have to trust God's sovereign. He knows what's best. He does all things in perfect timing, globally and personally in all of our lives. And Jesus says, Realize, listen, if this heartless, cruel judge honored the persistence of this woman to not lose heart and to keep looking to the one who could help her, how much more, he says... Will a loving God, who is your father, ultimately answer cries of his children to do what is right on their behalf? That's why he concludes verse 8 saying, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? See, Jesus shows my problem and your struggle so often is just our lack of faith. It's unbelief. It's a lack of trust. Jesus says, when I come, will I find a persevering faith like this woman, like this widow? When I come back, he says, will I find disciples who kept on praying and didn't lose heart? When I return, he says, will I find the same type of persistent faith on the earth that wouldn't give up and wouldn't give in to evil and the world's ways, but instead would keep on believing? Again, we see what matters to Jesus, it seems, always that he's looking for what? faith he's always looking for faith he was looking for faith the first time he came and he's looking for faith even when he returns Hebrews 10 says therefore don't cast away your confidence which has great reward for you have need of endurance so that after you've done the will of God you may receive the promise for yet a little while and he who is coming will come and will not tarry now the just shall live by faith so important Especially as it pertains, listen, to prayer. Especially. You know, I wonder, I wonder, have some believers, has the church in some ways just started to give up on prayer? I wonder that. Have we started to just give up on prayer? We don't give up on Christian concerts. You know, I've been in pastoral ministry for almost 15 years and I've watched and it's relative to any church in any community. You can have a Christian concert, bring in a Phil Wickham, you can pack an auditorium and charge the money and take an offering. You say, hey, we're going to have this free thing where we're going to talk to God for a little bit. You have trouble feeling six seats. Have we given up on prayer? I don't know. I say that to my own conviction. Have we given up on prayer? Jesus says we ought always to pray and not lose heart. That's what's effective. Let the devil not deceive us of the effectiveness of prayer. Shall we stand together? We'll have our musicians come close us in a final song of worship. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it speaks to us, challenges us, and instructs us that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Lord, help us in these days to continue as believers to keep our eyes on You, to look to You, to rely on You. Lord, we need Your help. We ask You to strengthen us by Your Spirit and help us to stay persistent in seeking You, believing that You'll answer and that You'll act. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.